Welcome to Creators Abroad. I'm Katerina, your nomad guide living in Northern England. And this is another narrative journey where we take risks, find opportunities and spark our imagination. I create these episodes to help you in your creative journey and share tips to build a new life in a foreign country or town. And most importantly, how to make a living as a creator. To do that, I've got another awesome guest with me today, filmmaker and poet Daniel Hess, based in Baltimore. Quick reminder, this show used to be called Regeneration Studio, and these are the last couple of episodes which I recorded as such. Either way, if you enjoyed this episode, listen to a couple of others, and if you dig the vibe, please subscribe. Now then, back to Daniel. When you go into photography or videography, there is one obvious answer to the question how to make money. You become an events photographer. That is, you take pictures of weddings, corporate events, baptisms, and so forth. The structure and income of being an events photographer or videographer keeps everyone else in your life happy. It keeps your parents happy, keeps your partner happy, it keeps the bank happy, it keeps all the people who would like you to buy stuff happy, and it makes you easier to love. But capturing other people's happiest moments or the fabulous comings and goings of corporates doesn't necessarily keep you happy and you might end up hating yourself. But how do you break free from the work for others creative trap and rediscover the possibilities of your imagination? Now, Daniel found Two Tony Productions with the idea of making films and pushing his artistic imagination. Along the way, life happened. Rent, bills, cats and dogs, responsibilities. And to manage life, he became an events videographer. Now, this is his journey of how he broke free. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. To give our listeners an idea of who you are, imagine there's a film soon to be released called Daniel or to Tony or Hess, whatever you like. Can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? Yeah, so I'd say if my life was to be a, a, a film trailer, it would be something of a, a, I guess, a dark comedy slash upbeat tale of a life that's spent on one hand trying to be as creative as possible and on the other hand trying to analyze and also approach things from the smartest possible direction. So a life filled with struggle between the left brain and the right brain, so to speak, because I feel like that has been the biggest struggle for me trying to overcome, trying to be sensible, but also trying to be risk-taking and creative all at once. Yes, and I think this is such a common thing for a lot of creatives who want to make a living out of their passion. Scene one, the wedding videographer. So let's start with your film company, Tutoni Productions, which was established in 2009, so it's quite a while back already. Mm -hmm. The name of the company itself is in recognition of your friend and cousin, Anthony, who passed away at a young age, 14. However, in between graduating from film school and creating short films for this film company, you got by for a long time as we just spoke as a wedding and corporate videographer. Now, in general, what role did Anthony play in your life? 
And how does his influence on you translate into your passion for films and your creative life in general? Well, you know, for me, seeing someone that close, you know, passed away. I mean, I was only 10 when he passed away at age 14 from CF. And for me, a part of me wanted to continue on living a life that he wasn't able to. So for me, naming the company after him was always something that was very grounding for me. Uh, it always helped me to stay the course, so to speak. And it kept me wanting to pursue my creativity more and more. So, you know, if there's times where I felt sort of defeated or felt like I wasn't making the right choices, you know, I always thought back to him and his inspiration that he left me in the short time, you know, that we were friends and everything, because, you know, I always looked up to him because I never had a bigger brother. I was the oldest child of three kids. So he was like that big brother role for me. So he was always something I looked up to. So even, you know, now that it's been so long since he's been gone, it still kind of fills that, that role for me. So the name is in part, you know, a dedication to him, but it's also a part to sort of push me more and more to not give up on this like dream of, you know, wanting to create films full time, be a, a writer full time and just, you know, live that full on creative life that I've always wanted to for such a long time. Yes. And I think on the topic of sometimes it's the most tragic events in our life that really drive us to dedicate our time, our effort, everything in us to what we truly believe in. And in the case of, well, creatives, it's what we create, what we we love to, to pull out of our imaginations. Mm -hmm. But you actually originally studied pharmacology. So you started with something completely different. And this maybe goes back to what you were saying about the left brain and the right brain and trying to, to make sensible choices. Why? Why did you study this? And what happened to make you change direction? Well, yeah. So originally, right before I was supposed to start my first year of college, the plan was to do pharmacology. And a big part of that was push from my parents, especially, you know, because throughout school, throughout high school, you know, I, I was a good student, I did pretty well. And, you know, what I realized was during that break, you know, that short summer break between, you know, graduating high school and going into college, this strange sort of creativity came about again. You know, I'd always enjoyed writing and wanting to tell stories, but I found myself sort of just falling back into that world really hardcore again. And I had a, a close friend of mine who uh, was going to do film and sort of suggested it. And from a family that has never had anyone that's gone full time into the arts, for me, you know, when I thought about writing, I didn't really see as many avenues for a potential career as I did with film. So realizing that I could sort of merge my writing and also having this visual element to it just really spoke to me at that time. And of course, I love going to movies and watching films. So it all sort of connected in the last second. And, you know, honestly, on top of everything else, I realized that 
I wasn't as good at math as I thought I was. <laughs> so going into something like pharmacology was such a huge math element to it. I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to really nail this as much as I think I might. So yeah, a little bit of anxiety mixed with a lot of just differing perspectives on life at that time. And then having someone who is also sort of taking that dive in the film mm -hmm. sort of all played into that last minute change, which to everyone's credit, they, they supported me through it. And despite, you know, being a month away from starting school, I managed to switch everything over in order to pivot into that uh, major. And then what did your, or what do, do your parents do? So my mom is a psychotherapist and my dad is a, a maintenance supervisor at a retirement community. So okay. very, very grounded careers. And, you know, my grandparents on both sides were like, you know, one worked at Bethlehem Steel, which is a local steel mill here and where I live now. And then my grandfather was on my dad's side, worked for BGE, which is an electrical company. So the yeah. the art side of things were not prevalent at all. And I think that's a big thing when you grow up in a family where it's not, nobody does it as a career. It's just generally the recommendation is going to a different direction. I mean, you can do it on the side, you can write on the side, mm -hmm. or you can like do, you can make films on the side, but rather have this grounding in something else because that's more secure. But in your case, you you changed before you even went into any other direction. So you became a videographer. Now, from a videographer or any creative's point of view, it's quite common to go the corporate or public direction. In other words, you don't really use your free creative expression, but you rather just make material for the benefit of others. Now, partly because this is the easiest way to get paid for work, um, mm -hmm. and especially if we are in a relationship, for example, or we've got other responsibilities, children, bulls, that kind of thing, you know, life, it seems like the logical thing to do. It is even generally recommended by some to go down that route so that you can build up a portfolio or gain experience. Describe your time working as an events videographer. What factors in your life made you decide to do it in the first place? And what is your opinion on the industry in general? Well, you know, my, my journey into events and corporate videography was one of complete necessity. When I was 23, I moved out from my parents' house amidst a lot of tension, especially between me and my father at that time in my life. And... I was with someone that I had been seeing for, to that point, about four years. And, you know, we moved out together, found a place to rent. I had a dog. She had some cats. So instantly thrown into, you know, a pretty tough financial situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, going from no rent, no bills, any of that to a $1,200 a month place was a big change. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, it was just like, I was just whatever gigs I could do, whatever sort of odd jobs I could place in the career. I mean, you know, for a little bit, I was working um, at a baseball stadium, taking pictures of uh, little league baseball games. Uh, I was working at the aquarium here in Baltimore for a little bit, taking souvenir pictures. 
and I was getting as many corporate and event video gigs as I could possibly take in. And through that sort of pushing, I was introduced to a gentleman who was looking for someone to do wedding videography for his wedding photo company business. And the money was pretty decent. So mm -hmm. I, I fell into that. And, you know, it, it built over a good couple years after my relationship ended, you know, I moved into the place where I'm living now and built a company up just doing pretty much exclusively wedding videography. And, you know, it pays the bills, but it was probably, and still is the, at certain times, the most grueling stuff you'll do, you know, a what wedding do you mean? video. Just wedding videography in general is just, it's, it's long, it's arduous, your schedule doesn't matter. It, the only time you have is whatever time the wedding party allows you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'll have days where you're moving from one location to the next and there's no breaks. You know, it's, it's tough to even find moments to try to run to the bathroom, you know, mm -hmm. because it's just such a crazy tight schedule you know on the flip side for corporate videography it's you know not so bad there's still long days and you're still doing a lot of work but at least there's like built-in breaks you know things are set on your timing you can kind of talk with your client more and sort of figure it all out usually there's like you know lunch provided or dinner provided depending on what time the shoot is so that's the corporate life <laughs> yeah it's, it's definitely it's definitely better but uh yeah, I'd, I'd say just, it was just brutal, you know, mm -hmm. especially on the weddings, because that was pretty much all I was doing. But the money, you know, the money was good. And, uh, you know, I always tell people, it's just like, if you really don't have another option, I mean, it's definitely an avenue to pursue, but it's never one that I really recommend to people. Because the other end of it is you get sort of shoehorned into that world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for a long time, I mean, up until pretty much this past year, I was still like, even though I wasn't advertising weddings anymore, trying to do weddings anymore, I was still getting people reaching out or recommending me because that's all they thought I did, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it, it became sort of a sad state of things because I was just like, I do creative stuff guys, <laughs> but you know, nobody, just mm -hmm. nobody thought of me that way. Yeah. I mean, it's such a tough thing and it extends in all all the the spheres of creativity really like the industry itself where if you get like a secure job in the industry like a, a paycheck that you know it's going to happen it's going to be there it's so hard to eventually escape that and mm -hmm. then take the risks of having to build up the creative portfolio like something that's your own work and build up an audience for that i mean it's such a hard thing and well you, you were brave enough to take that risk, so that's great. Scene two, the creative breakup. Now, I did a little bit of research and then I just came across this. <laughs> Apparently we creatives are either wonderful human beings or hard <laughs> to love. Websites like Lifehack call us childlike, sensitive, optimistic. We feel emotions intensely and share our ideas and, and that kind of almost stereotypical version of us, but but it's true. And then, however, mm -hmm. there's also the dark side of insecurity, intense introspection, dissatisfaction, 
boredom and the need to be alone sometimes quite a lot not to speak of a constant competition between if you are in a relationship say your partner and your creative passion now your return to creative filmmaking roughly coincided with a major breakup after a seven-year relationship so what happened in your relationship well, I mean, you know, the, the first thing was it was a starting, it was a very young relationship to start. I mean, mm-hmm. met in high school. Uh, I was a senior. She was a sophomore. So it was, you know, it's, it started out with that sort of young love type of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as, as we grew older and, you know, as I started going through college and all that, they're just, the seam started to be there. And I'd say, you know, trying to work in the film world I mean it didn't help things very much you know solely because you know anything that you take into like a business sense I feel like it's hard to incorporate either family or friends or loved ones into it and you know I'd say through my years of experience the two long-term relationships that I've had I can directly link with a big part of the issue was trying to have that other person be incorporated into the film side of things because it's just, it's a different territory. It's a different side of me. And it's a side of me that, that takes up a lot of my thoughts, a lot of my time, a lot of, you know, just everything. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of easy jealousy that can come from that. And a lot of, you know, arguments that can grow out of that field that wouldn't necessarily be there and I can remember you know the the second long-term relationship I got in you know she was pushing to want to help with the business and want to help with the film stuff and everything and I remember saying from the start you know I don't know if this is a good idea I really have had bad experiences the first time around with this and she was still very adamant about it and I'd say that was a big part of why that relationship dissolved too. Were you doing events videography at this stage? Yeah. So there's, there's still some of that going on and Mm -hmm. that was really what she wanted to, to help out with and everything. And so, you know, I sort of split the company, uh, in my second relationship, I had, you know, the production side was specifically trying to be the creative force. And then I made a second version, which was just called visual events. So it was two Tony visual events. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the wedding side of things. And she was really trying to head that part of it up. Um, okay. But it just, it just dissolved because, you know, there was just, she was trying to learn to how to do video production with me and be on the wedding shoots and stuff. And it's just, that's always was a lot of pressure for me. So there was just like, my own anxiety, my own tension that was around everything. And it just Mm -hmm. led to silly, easy arguments that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. And so a lot of tension came from trying to push into that world. Yes. What was her speciality? So she was just trying to help with like marketing, with trying to help with being on set to film the events, with just like a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Did she study film like you did? No, so she came from a completely different background. I mean, we just happened to meet and she actually was studying architecture before of all things. So yeah, her experience was not in the film stuff at all. Yes. So 
I mean, that's another case in point. So it's not always having perhaps where you are absent from the relationship because of your commitments to your creative work, but also when you do get involved or when there's like a collaboration, the tension that arises from that, because from my own experience, sometimes just being a creative, it's easiest to do it alone, <laughs> but mm -hmm. it's just the nature of the job. Would you say that your art has ever disrupted your functioning within relationships in general and also society? I Yeah, I'd say that like a big part of my creative process is trying to be kind of isolated in a sense. For me, I, I find myself as the type of person who gets not distracted easily, but I try to just, as if I can take as many things away from what I'm trying to focus on, it's better. So like, personally, I can't even really listen to music. Like when I'm writing, mm -hmm. it's, it's a completely just Zen focused sort of a hundred percent of me into that moment. So, yeah, so it makes it very easy to want to kind of be away from people and relationships and everything, mm -hmm. because I like I always have this big phobia of just, you know, if I end up with someone, then that will keep me from creating the way I want to or focusing on it the way I want to. Yeah. And it's a big give and take because it makes me want to avoid that kind of like interaction but then at the same time, I mean, we're all people. So the, yep. the humanistic side of me is just like, but, you know, you want to have cuddle time and you want to have <laughs> affection yes. time and things like that. Like this, this is all nice. It, it's heartwarming and everything. Mm -hmm. But then the, the creative side of me is like, but then you'll never write because you'll be distracted and you won't want mm -hmm. to like tell the same stories you'll want to tell. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a weird dilemma. <laughs> Yeah, I totally get that. And I mean, just from having friends, just the, that perspective, it's sometimes really hard to actually explain what what my day looks like. And they're always just really, really surprised, like, and just don't get it. So they're friends, but it's always like mm -hmm. making that deeper connection. And, and the same goes for obviously like an actual romantic relationship. Making that deeper connection is really hard sometimes because of the discrepancies between how perhaps how I almost want to say your brain works, but it's perhaps not that, but just what you get out of your work as opposed to what you get out of time spent with a, another person. It's interesting the way that, you know, this year has gone. I mean, it's terrible that we're in the middle of this self-isolating pandemic, but at the same time for me, it's just been like a guilt-free reason as to why I'm like spending so much time by myself and also mm -hmm. it's been this like huge influx of like creativity that I've never experienced before in my entire life, because I'm just like not thinking about like, Oh, could I be, you know, going out to some concert tonight or could yeah. I be going out to like a museum or a place like this? Because those options really kind of aren't there right now. So mm -hmm. it's, it's bad and it's good at the same time because it's like kind of taken away that factor of, of guilt with, uh, not wanting to go out I know it's crazy because <laughs> I mean when you have the pressure of attending events or going out or going to a restaurant or going to a place I mean you feel like you just feel like you have to do it but now having not having that pressure 
is actually mm-hmm. k- kind of enjoyable. <laughs> it's it's terrible to say, but it is. And then of course you, there is the the flip side to it because you there's also the inspiration that you actually get from that interaction with the outside world. But it's it's exactly. a, been a it's been a weird year, and I think we've all grown in different ways. And I, especially like I, from my point of view, it's been very good for creativity. But I also know a lot of artists and creatives for whom it hasn't actually been that great. So. I mean, we all mm-hmm. we all react in a different ways. Now, in 2018, you experienced a, a sort of creative renaissance, and this is after you sort of stopped the the events, videography, wedding videography, and so on, and you decided to mm-hmm. go full time into creating films. And you were based in Baltimore, as you've mentioned a couple of times, and two Tony Productions up kind of provide a space for fellow creatives as well. So it's not just about you, even though we've been talking a lot about being alone and how we love being isolated. <laughs> there are other people out there. <laughs> what uh, is your what is your company culture like? Well, so I, you know, I tr- I've tried to, as I've gone, sort of cultivate like a place where, you know, people can sort of come together, especially people who are new to stepping into the film world. So over the past like few years, I've really tried to take in people, especially from the same school I went to uh, that are graduating and sort of just at the very least have conversations with them and sort of provide like some level of guidance. And a lot of it, you know, has to do with just thinking back to like, you know, when I first got out of school, you know, I had some people that kind of took me a little bit under their wing, especially in like the corporate videography field but I never really had too many people on the creative side of things really sit down with me and sort of talk to me about it. And so, you know, a lot of times what I'll do is, you know, just say like, look, you know, take the, take as much time as you need to, to stay at home and not have the pressures of life, not have these crazy bills that you will one day when you buy a house or buy a new car or whatever, and, you know, use it to, to take that time to intern on the film sets and to really push in the creative because that's the hardest part is, you know, when you're trying to go into this field, a lot of it is going to be like unpaid work or very little paid work mm-hmm. for a pretty good amount of time. I mean, you really have to get yourself wrangled into that space of doing something like a production assistant or an assistant camera or something like that. And a lot of it is just time that's spent sort of watching someone else who's doing it better and has been doing it for a while. And that's all time that you're probably not going to get paid for. Mm -hmm. So the more time you can sort of take to just have an easier route and an easier time to not have to worry about financials, the better. So I think for me, like that's a big part of the like culture that I'm trying to put out there. I also have set up like I have a scholarship with the high school that I went to locally here for kids, you know, going into college and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's been the biggest push is that. And then, you know, as much as I can trying to do different short film projects that I can encompass, you know, people that are trying to get that experience on a set because, you know, I know how valuable that is and that time is. So for me, that's the biggest part is just like, as much as I can trying to return the favor to people because, you know, I was lucky in a number of ways with who I met over the years. And I think, you know, that's a big part of it too. It's just like who you choose to interact with. And so 
I always tell anybody that sort of reaches out to me or contacts me that like, Hey, you got my email, you got my phone, you can text me, call me, send me a message. Like I'm always happy to talk about this kind of stuff because you know, that's the best way to sort of keep things going and keep people growing in the right way is just by lending that sort of knowledge out there as much as I can. Yeah. And I think that's really wonderful to have that outlook and also be willing to give some of your time to help other people who perhaps aren't as sure what to do or just looking for some experience or perhaps just don't know the industry very well. Cause I mean, just talking from my own experience, I'm not a, I didn't study film, um, but I love creating videos and I've actually now gone that same route where I, I'm looking for people with the experience who know the industry. And mm -hmm. I think it's just so invaluable. You can only learn, you can learn a lot from YouTube, but it's sometimes just the, you know, in practical experience that can make such a big difference. And yeah. So yeah. thank you for, for doing that in your, your community. Would you say that collaboration is more conducive to increased productivity and artistic innovation? Oh God. Yeah. I'd say a million times over, you know, I always try to look at it as like when I'm making a, a new film project, it's like, you know, if I'm the director, if I wrote it, if I produced it, like these are all ideas that I'm bringing to the table, but I always want to like, I recently watched a really good interview with a uh, director, Dennis Villanue, and I'll probably pronounce his last name wrong, but he know. always said, he's always said that like what he tries to do. And I, tr I look at it the same way is, uh, surrounding yourself with people that are better than you at whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what I try to do with each project I bring on. So like, I, I mean, I could draw storyboards, right. But they would mm -hmm. be terrible little stick figure drawings. What's yeah. going, I, I want to bring on an artist who knows how to draw, who can bring their eye because I have shot ideas in my head for angles and stuff, but mm -hmm. that person who's presenting me with the storyboards might say, Hey, I know you like this angle, but like, I also drew up this. So like, maybe think about that too. And I might take that idea. I might not, but either way, the fact that that person is thinking of it that way is to me, like exactly what I want. You know, I don't want to be the person on set. Who's just like calling on the shots and everyone's just saying, okay, you know, I want a crew of people who are constantly like not questioning, but at least presenting me with different thoughts and different ways to think about things, because that's the only way that you get better is when everyone's sort of committed to the same goal and they're all pushing at the highest level they can in whatever field they're doing. So, you know, like a, another example would be, you know, if I had like a wardrobe person and mm -hmm. I say, okay, we're doing like a 90s style movie here. I want like 90s style stuff. And then, you know, they go and bring all these different options and they say, you know, like this was what it was around this time, but we could add a little bit of this and it's not quite period accurate, but it would like translate yeah. really well. And there you go. You might have something totally unique, you know, differing from what you're originally thinking, but it's going to help like make the project more original or present like a new way of looking at it or things like that. So yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it's just really about like, collaborating you know not just collaborating in itself but collaborating with the right people who are all bringing like the top of their skills to whatever position that you're trying to get them into for any project 
Yes, and I think that's the golden point. It's it's not collaboration for the sake of collaboration because you can't just bring anybody on the project and think that necessarily their vision is going to align with yours. It's finding the right people and often the people who see things the way you do because, I mean, it's it's all very diverse within the arts itself. Mm -hmm. Now, what is the drawback of working with other creatives? Well, the, the biggest drawback is that, you know, sometimes no matter what, no matter how hard you kind of sift through people that you're trying to bring into your project, there's always going to be some tension that arises uh, between some people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, there was once a music video project I did and I hired a whole choreography team of like their fight choreography because mm -hmm. we were doing some really awesome fight scenes in this music video and uh we were filming it and i had a great team the two guys that were just filming it with me i've worked with them several times i love their work and the fight choreography people completely overstepped what they were trying to do and they were actually criticizing the way we were filming the fight mm -hmm. scenes okay. and actually going behind our backs to talk to the band that we're doing the fight scenes and telling them that we were filming it wrong to the point where it turned into a huge fight and the music video never ended up getting made because <laughs> we did a day of filming yeah. and they, they, we didn't finish it because that was just how badly they sort of made us look. And then it just, they, they ended up actually leaving and everything. It was a mess. But, you know, I did tons of homework. They seemed like a great group of people and were recommended by other people and all this stuff. And it just came down to like an ego trip of a couple people in that group that was doing the, the choreography for the for us. And it just turned into a big headache. And as a result, like I wish I even had the footage. Like we shot some really great stuff. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had some of it to like showcase because I was really happy with what we were doing. But yeah, it just fizzled out just literally because it was just the wrong set of people to have on the set that day. Yeah, I mean, that's so tragic, especially if you think of all the work that goes into just pre-production, just planning something. And I mean, the communication that happens. There's so much that actually goes on behind every single project that mm -hmm. we do. I say we, but you know what I mean. And when something goes wrong like that, I mean, it's just... It's so bad. And I was going through all of the videos that I watched because I went through quite a few of the ones um, on your Vimeo channel. And I was trying mm -hmm. to think, where is this five music video? So <laughs> you explained what happened there. Can you just maybe explain one of the hardest projects you had that you actually turned into a success? And what was the element that got that like pivot point? Yeah. So again, uh, this is another music video story. Another one. <laughs> and uh it it was a success in that it actually was finished. The I wouldn't say the music itself, like the song itself, was actually pretty bad. If I'm being completely honest, it was a rap hip hop music video, and uh, it was the hardest, probably the hardest day of filming I've ever had in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Just simply because we were filming at a mansion, and the gentleman that we were filming for had a contact with the guy that owned the mansion, and. We were supposed to get there at like 9 a.m. to start setting up. And I pull up at 9 a.m. Nobody's there. I'm, I'm texting the artist. 
and don't get a response. And the next thing you know, the, the guy who owns the mansion comes out and he's just like, what are you doing here? And I was like, what do you mean? What am I doing here? And he was just like, what? nobody's supposed to be here until like two o'clock or something. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, no, you know, we, I told him that we wanted to start at nine and he said, he talked to you and he's like, well, he didn't talk to me. And he, the guy just started going off. Mm-hmm. And literally that was the rest of my day was this guy who owned this mansion constantly threatening to kick us out from the mansion, fighting with the the rap artist and me having to not only deal with that and break that tension, but then also we had about 10, close to 10 extras that were all like models that were mm-hmm. on set at the same time. And so I'm trying to make sure that the models were like taken care of, this argument was taken care of and mm-hmm. making sure that we weren't going to get kicked out of the house because every time there was an argument, that was immediately where the guy went was just mm-hmm. like, everybody needs to leave everybody <laughs> out and just yelling and just messing up the whole day. So that was, you know, we, I, we were there from probably like 9am until about 8pm, maybe 9pm that night. So a 12 hour day of just that the entire time. And, uh, we finished it and it was released. It wasn't released anywhere. Like, so you probably didn't see it on any of my channels, Um, (laughs) but, but, (laughs) but it was, it was eventually released. The guy actually ended up like having a friend of his film, other scenes he wanted to do because I personally wasn't comfortable with doing them. I mean, he wanted to like get up in these girls, like butts and stuff like that. And I was just like, dude, you know, I told you from the start, like, we're not doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. I was just, that's not, I'm not a chauvinistic person. Like I'm not doing that sort of, so he ended up reshooting stuff with this other guy. So the version that's out there is like this mixed, this hodgepodge of what we shot. And then very almost, I I don't want to say pornographic, but very close to inappropriate video of, of a African-American woman with him and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. it was a triumph in that, for me personally, as a director, I learned like how to make myself work in like eight different scenarios. Cause like I said, I had to play, you know, crowd control. I had to play calming (laughs) the argument. I mean, I, I had to take on so many hats that day. It was crazy. (laughs) I mean, I think that's also part of kind of managing your own company or, or being the one in control is being able to just swap roles like that, especially if you're working with quite a few different people. And yes, no, I didn't see that video. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, I have to send it to you. It's, it's not a good song. You won't like the song at all, yeah. but. <laughs> I was going to mention, or just as a, as like a, a extra point, do you mm-hmm. sometimes find it's hard to work with artists who don't do your art? Like, for example, say working with a musician or working with, I don't know if you've ever worked with a painter, you might be a painter yourself, who knows? Um, but would you say it, it? you can feel it or do you think it's just we? because we like to say creatives, you know, we're all just the same. <laughs> it's, it's, it's totally different. I mean, I tell people all the time that like music videos, especially it's yeah. such a, it's such a hard thing to do. And so like me personally, I tried, I honestly try to avoid it as much as possible, you know, unless like my favorite band was just like, came to me and was like, Hey Dan, we want you to film our music video. Mm -hmm. Sure. I'd be all over that. 
otherwise the issue is that when we're when we're creatives the, the tendency we all seem to have is that if if there's not someone keeping sort of the lid on the can so to speak mm-hmm. everything just skyrockets really quick mm-hmm. so i've learned from over the years especially when you meet with musicians is just like we all have this drive that we want to create the most amazing original unique thing and unless everyone has like a budget or funding to to be attached to that it's either not going to happen or it will happen but at the expense of either like you as the videographer not making any money or actually having to put out your own money to make sure that this like vision sort of comes to life so it's it's really hard to maintain like a good level of things because you just that's what you end up doing is just like everybody has great visions and I love talking with creatives, Mm -hmm. but as far as like working with someone on like a completely creative project, it's like you just have to somehow maintain like a level of being grounded or next thing you know, you're going to want to create this like amazing thing, which sounds great. Mm -hmm. And and if you had like, you know, maybe $50,000 to throw at it, it would be really great. Mm -hmm. But short of that, like, it's probably going to end up being close to not a disaster, but it won't be what you what you had in mind, because the the budget just isn't going to be there. And you're just inevitably you're not going to make anything. So trying to go into it, I know a lot of people would try to go into it as like a financial endeavor. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, 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 like music video is, you know, even even at the high end, like it's hard to make money in that field. Because, you know, it's just uh, there's a lot of overhead, especially mm-hmm. for like record companies and stuff these days. So yeah, it's just, it's just tough. I'd say somebody has, there has to be like, if you are going to work with the creative, there has to be like a third party there. That's just like, <laughs> hold on guys. I think you're, you're trying to shoot to the moon a little bit here. Maybe, uh, maybe reel that back. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering now if like, cause I sometimes do work with a videographer myself, if this ever crosses his mind when I tell him some of my ideas, but <laughs> I suppose <laughs> I'll find out. Yeah, just a quick note. Do you actually make money from a music video? Yeah, so if you, you're getting hired for it, but like I said, like it's it's very hard. Like for that hip hop music video I mentioned, mm-hmm. I think he had, I want to say, I don't know if it was like $3,000 to throw at it or something. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, once, because I had to hire those models, I had to hire a crane operator. I mean, we did some cool like over the pool shots with oh, like right. a crane and stuff. So after I paid everybody, you know, I essentially, I don't think I made a hundred bucks off that thing. You know, it pretty much all went back into the production. So that's usually what ends up happening with most music videos is just, you know, it'll either go into the production or if you do make anything, it'll maybe be like a couple hundred bucks at most or something like that. Hmm. That's really interesting. Scene three, rediscover your drive. So you've mentioned some of your writing and the fact that you enjoy writing, that you see yourself as a writer and that these two things actually, filmmaking and writing goes hand in hand. And you actually published or self-published your first collection of poems titled Just a Boy Blaming Himself. Now, I've also started going through that. And I mean, it's such clear poems and I love it. I love that style. That's very minimalistic expression, but what it, the power of that is that it brings to the fore the core emotions. 
at question without naming them directly. And it's really, really easy to read and you can actually just read it like a book, which is great. So this seems to be a technique that you also use in some of your short films, where the less is said, the better. Tell us more about your poetry and the book, first of all. Yeah, so, you know, poetry has been a big part of my life, it's even at a young age. I mean, after losing my cousin, it was that was kind of where it started. And it was always sort of there as a, a space to sort of express myself. And so, you know, especially over the last five or six years, I finally started kind of just recording my poems and, and keeping a log of them. Because to that point, you know, I was sort of, you know, especially after my seven year breakup, I was writing poetry and I was just writing it on notepads or things like that. But the problem was I just either didn't keep them or one day I'd look at it and be like, oh, this isn't very good. And I would just mm -hmm. chuck it or something like that. Like it was just mm -hmm. I, there wasn't a lot of confidence there with what I was writing. Mm -hmm. And so my my journey with it was really started with just simple sharing you know, I found myself like talking with with friends or acquaintances and sort of just sharing a poem or two. And, you know, it still even that took a couple of years of just people saying like, this is pretty good stuff. Like maybe mm. think about doing something with it. And so, you know, I get, got better and better with the feeling like it was worth something. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, finally around 2018, when I went through my sort of creative renaissance uh, so to speak, it was really when I started going back and, you know, I was kind of forced to write because, mm -hmm. you know, at that time I really wanted to, you know, make more short films and make a feature film. So I started doing, you know, simply grant writing. I was trying to get grants and stuff here locally. Mm -hmm. So I, I came across like an editor that I found and, sent him like the, the write-up I had made for the feature that was in my mind. And he went through it and was like, this is good stuff, you know, besides like the grammar stuff, cause I'm mm -hmm. terrible at grammar. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you know, you got some solid stuff here. And that was really like the first kind of, I guess, note that I had taken from someone outside of just people I had talked to mm -hmm. and hearing it from someone who is like really experienced in the field of writing and taught writing and stuff yeah. was kind of, you know, gratifying. And it made me feel like, okay, maybe there is something here again. And then, you know, the, the push just became to keep being creative and, and stuff like that. And I just kept writing more and more. And then honestly, this like poetry book really was kind of the, last thing on my mind up until you know the close to the end of last year when I really started saying like okay let's write these out in a word document and then I got them edited and then I was like okay how can I self-publish did some research and, and found someone that could help with that and put it together and really I just finally decided one day this past January to to upload everything to Amazon and and just do it yeah. And I really wasn't expecting anything to come out of it. And it's been quite phenomenal that like a lot of people have read through it now and mm -hmm. have been saying there's been a lot of good things they've gotten from it. Because for me, I just felt like these were just silly poems or something like that. Like I just, I don't know, just mm -hmm. hard to quantify things when you're doing it yourself, you know, from a subjective point. 
And especially with poetry, because it's written from, well, like the deepest parts of what you feel, of your heart, of what you, and because of that, it doesn't always follow the grammar structures. And it's just like, kind of, it's pouring out your thoughts and emotions raw on a paper, piece of paper or on a Word document, typing it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's so great that you actually took that step that you, the bravery of publishing, especially something like poetry, and especially for the reason I just mentioned. So that's great. Now, just pulling those two things together, how would you say writing contributes to filmmaking and vice versa? And I ask this because I'm originally a writer. That's like where I started. And then I went into all the other things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, the biggest thing is just because because I did it kind of backwards first, right? So 2018 happened, and really the push was. So I have a heart condition that I was born with. It's mm-hmm. pretty mild, but it's called aortic valve stenosis. So mm-hmm. essentially, what happens is my aorta pumps blood out, and some of it goes back into my heart when it shouldn't be. So each year I get like an echocardiogram. And when I was 28, you know, I got my yearly one and it was the first time they came back and said, you know, in a couple of years, you're going to have to get heart surgery, man. This is not looking good. Mm-hmm. And when you're 28 and you're realizing you're going to have to get open heart surgery, it's mm-hmm. a really weird thing. So I know it's something that's not the most serious heart surgery you can possibly have, but it's still a scary endeavor. Yeah. So looking back on my life, I was like, man, I've had all this time and I haven't made a feature film. I haven't pushed creatively like I should be. And so that was really the spark that kind of flew out from everything. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was, you know, I told myself, okay, well, we're going to try to make a feature film, but we're just going to do it. And so I just started, I found an actress and just started making what eventually would turn into my spirit will stay. Uh, which originally was, it's a short film now, but it was originally about an 80 minute film. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just shot it. Like I didn't have a story. I didn't have a script. I just went out and filmed it. And, you know, knowing what I know now, I wish I kind of would have stuck with the longer format that I originally had it in because it was very kind of super minimalistic in that it really didn't have much dialogue. There wasn't interactions with other characters. It was just this woman's life presented kind of voyeuristically. Is that the woman whose hair changes color? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So she's yeah. the, she's the, she's supposed to be a, a kitsune and there's a whole like, you know, there's a backstory behind yeah. the character, but it's not right. really presented all that great. And that's what I sort of learned as I look back on it too, is just like the writing needs to be there. The story structure needs to be there. There has to be something mm-hmm. to clue the audience in. Because honestly, I, I made that film almost intentionally as not not a middle finger to the audience, but kind of close to that, you know, wherein well, my original. The, yeah. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to say from the audience perspective, it you feel it's that classic art film sensation of <laughs> I'm going to have to pay real close attention to what's happening. <laughs> exactly and and like in the original version too i mean i literally the the voiceover narration that was there was all in japanese and not only was it originally in japanese it was also played backwards so the only way you would possibly be able to surmise what was being said is a to know japanese and b to have to play the movie in reverse to find out what was being said (laughs) 
So <laughs> it was a lot of things like that, that I was just like, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking as far as <laughs> wanting to mess with people, but yeah. you go, sometimes you go a little too art house with things. And <laughs> I think that was a good example of it. Um, oh, well. No, but, well, yeah. yeah. No, I was just going to say, but, but through that, you know, you, you do, you, you start to really learn the value of just like all the prep that goes into it again. So mm-hmm. I took what I learned from that and really started to discipline myself again and say, okay, you know, we have to sort of have a starting point and ending point, all the elements in between and what's going to make a, a good story and things like that. So that's when I finally, you know, this year wrote the script, my first feature film script, mm-hmm. because, you know, now I'm doing it the, the correct way, the way that it should be done yeah. from start to finish. Okay. And on the, the point of your feature film, so I believe it's called Sparrow's Point. I don't know if you, you change titles halfway through. I get tired of no, the title. No, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. um, now, I think, and this is what you just said, like for many aspiring directors or filmmakers, it's their dream to be in control of a full-length film. Because if anyone's ever made a video, just five minutes is like nothing. Mm-hmm. Like compared to the, the time it takes just to shoot the footage and what it all amounts to in the end but then you have to cut it all back down again, especially if you're on Mm -hmm. YouTube or whatever. Now, just getting a feature film, a full-length film off the ground is complicated and time-consuming. Would you perhaps just briefly like to share a little bit about the film and just like give listeners a teaser of what it's about, of some of the the, the intricacies of getting it started and when it's going to be released or anything you can share? Yeah, so Spare's Point is basically a story about a young couple. It's set in the early 90s, and it is the last day of their relationship. It's been a very tumultuous relationship between the two. And, you know, on one side, you have the lead character. Her name is Amy, and she's kind of a boisterous, loud, you know, she wants to move to a different place. She wants to have this, like, great life. She comes from like a theater background and uh, is struggling with all of the the male forces in her life, feeling dominated by that. And she's sort of at this like breaking point with that. And then on the flip side, we have Andrew is the main male character in the story. And he's really struggling with like gender identity in a big way. And so a lot of his issues come from feeling in in a non-binary way, but you know, in a time period where, you know, even the early nineties, it was like, you know, this kind of things weren't out there as much and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's just really struggling with that and trying to find his own identity in life. So these two kind of forces kind of combine on this, like really crazy last day of this relationship and everything. And it sort of just goes to a crazy direction from there. So it's, you know, part of, I call it like an anti coming of age story because, you know, they're in their early twenties at this point and they've already kind of grown past that phase where you're sort of learning about yourself. And they've Mm -hmm. already kind of what I would say made the mistakes of like sticking to one another. So it's, it's sort of a mirror of my own relationship that I went through and sort of getting bad habits in life from that. So, you know, at this point, this is, it's a final script and everything, but it's taken me about five drafts, five like complete right throughs to get to this place. And that was with a lot of advice from like sending it to people, getting opinions and stuff like that. 
Mm-hmm. But now it's the, you know, the hard part, which is trying to find producers that are going to help me get investors on board and get money financed into the film. And this is the part where I feel like is where most people struggle with mm-hmm. because it's it's tough. I mean, on one hand, there is options like Kickstarter or crowdfunding, but you know, I find that while those help, when you're really trying to get something substantial put together, like in my mind, the way I see it, the budget for this movie would be about like a five hundred thousand dollar production budget. Mm-hmm. So that's just something you're probably not going to be able to do through Kickstarter, especially at my level. You know, if I was re- really well established, sure, I could probably raise a million dollars on Kickstarter. You know, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to do the correct thing, which is you're basically creating a pitch. So yeah. right now, I have what's called a pitch deck that is all put together. Uh, it's got it's basically a slideshow that says shows these are my characters, this is my story, this is my budget, my timeline, all that stuff. Here's why you should come on board as a producer and help me finance this thing, and you can make money and all this good stuff. And it's it's a hard process because you know it's one you, it's about who you know and about how who you can find to help with that. And then for a first time like big budget or not big budget, but first time feature film director like me, you know, I don't have anything that can point to like, Hey, I've made a feature film before. This is what it looks like. This is what it made all that stuff. So it's really about presenting yourself in the most professional way and trying to sell yourself in the best way possible. And so that's, that's what I'm working on now. Um, I actually have, my first big pitch meeting on the 21st of this month. Okay. So good luck with that. <laughs> pretty, thank you. And pretty, pretty exciting, pretty nervous all at the same time. But uh, no, I find that like, that's the thing that you have to do though, because when you're doing it this way, it really makes you think about like, okay, you know, what am I doing all the prep, right? Am I doing all the elements, right? It really makes you think back on that. Whereas I think, if you just have people giving you money or you mm-hmm. already have money, you're not as disciplined about it. Yeah. And I mean, I think you'll see that like there's been movies over the years that like very well off people have made that are not very good <laughs> because there's no one else that's either telling them no or asking them to like really think about what they're doing. And uh, I think there's a lot that speaks to that, that like sort of gatekeeping that happens when you're doing this process. Yeah, I think it always gets really tricky when you know that you've someone's invested in you, in your project and what it's going to become. And it's on you to make it happen and to make it the best possible version of itself as you are capable of. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to just having a budget already there, because sometimes we just we think differently if it's just our own money. And yeah. So the the motivation could be different. And like I said, good luck with that. And once again, it just comes back to that that element of risk-taking and putting yourself out there, which is Mm -hmm. not always easy. Exactly. But do do keep me up to date about what happens with film because the topic sounds like my kind of topic. Like, sounds really interesting to me. Um, So let me know. Of course. And then more on the production side of things. And this is just a quick question, mm-hmm. just to know, out of curiosity, do you have a work-life balance? <laughs> <laughs> uh, at this point, I'd probably safely say not too much. Okay. Um, <laughs> and really, you know, I just find that like, I just like taking on different projects. So mm-hmm. 
in the last like two weeks, I had an epiphany of uh, right now I'm, I'm reviewing short films from people because I realized like in my own experience, one of the hardest things after you create a short film, especially is like, who do I send this to now? <laughs> who, who wants to watch it and give me their opinion yeah. about it? And so I pretty much said to, I found people through Instagram, through Facebook groups. And I've said like, look, send me your films. I'll, I'll write up reviews and feature it on my blog, you know, and it's mutually beneficial. I mean, I always yeah. need more content on my blog and they genuinely want to know what outside people besides their inner circles think of their films. And so I give, you know, honest reviews where I tell them like, you know, Hey, this looked really good, but maybe the sound mix wasn't quite there. And it's been really helpful, but it's just stuff like that. So like, I'm always just finding these <laughs> ways to just constantly keep myself yeah. working, but yeah. it makes me, I mean, I love it. You know, I yeah. love everything to do with being able to merge all these different creative forces in my head and keep me going because otherwise then you just, you get bored you end up like turning on Netflix or something. And then, you know, the, the day yeah. kind of goes by and you're like, man, what did I do today? <laughs> that, that's very true. Um, I was going to say, I'll send you to my YouTube channel and you can, <laughs> you might just pull it apart. I know it's not a short film, but you're probably just going to pull it apart. But anyway, I make quirky. Oh, uh, no, off, please do. I'd off, love off to. Offbeat videos. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I love, I love like anything that's just any kind of original stuff is fun with me. <laughs> <laughs> cool and now just to wrap everything up and this has been fabulous thank you so much for sharing all of, of the i mean your personal experience as well as your ex expertise in in filmmaking now one more thing that you do is you offer mentoring services mm -hmm. and i think maybe this is a little bit of an influence from your mom's side i don't know <laughs> pointing out that you had your fair share of personal ups and downs as well of course so you want to share your what you've learned with other people and that sometimes in order to be our best selves we need to to actually talk have a space to talk about our worries and aspirations with someone who can give us a new perspective on our lives mm -hmm. thinking of everything that you have accomplished and and what you would like to accomplish in the future what is the most important component of a bright future for you? Well, for me, you know, all I could ever ask for out of life is just the ability to write and make films and just not even, I don't want to be rich. I don't want to have a million dollars. I just literally want to be able to do that. And then the money that is earned from that just give me any kind of living, you know, I, you know, I have a house as it is now. And it's like, if I could make enough to just pay off what's left on the mortgage of the house and just get a house somewhere else, I've always said somewhere warmer. Cause I'm a mm -hmm. summer boy. I love the summer. <laughs> and if I could sit and just my days could be filled with just typing and writing stories, writing scripts, and also sitting down with fellow creatives, having chats with them and writing reviews for different films and writing articles for different publications, that, that'd be perfect. That's all I could ever ask for. So for me, when I think about a bright future, that's what I sort of envision is just being able to create. And then also like the mentoring services, being able to, to teach this stuff and to pass on whatever I can to anyone and also do that as, as 
fully as I possibly can, because, you know, not to, to knock anybody that's sort of in that upper space that I sort of want to be at, but a lot of the people that I've met over the years that are sort of in the higher levels, they're great people. And I have had great conversations with them, but when you're trying to continually interact with those people, that's when things sort of fall apart. And I never, I never want my life to be at that point where I'm just like not able to interact with anyone or be able to continually kind of mentor people because Mm -hmm. I feel like that's where, you know, you can sort of fail, fail other people that are trying to get there because just one conversation is, is great, but it's hardly ever the enough to really get somebody on a good place you know, not saying that you need to be there holding their hand the entire time, but I think there just needs to be more of this like easier outreach for people because even with every resource that's out there these days, you know, there's still, and I've been there too, where it's just like, you don't really know what avenue to turn to. Yeah. So like, if I could have this like other entity, this other maybe nonprofit or something like that, that could just literally be there to create this like amazing space for amazing creatives that are also trying to get better at their craft, then like, that would be amazing too. So the brighter future is of course, supporting myself fully with my Mm -hmm. creative endeavors. The most optimistic thing would be having this space that I could make for people to, to hone their skills and learn these things, you know, without having to get lost in the minutiae and have to give that up because I just see that too much. And it, it breaks my heart when I have to see people that sort of either give it up or mm-hmm. move on to a different field. You know, yeah. if, I, if I can, one last thing is just yeah. that's with the guy who originally got me into film in the first place. That's what happened to him. He's not even in film anymore. He doesn't make mm-hmm. films anymore. And it's, it, it hurts. It hurts because, you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. I look back on it and I'm like, I wasn't even the one that was into it as much as he was. I mean, he grew up with film much more deeper than I did. And here he is now. I think he's doing like IT work. And it's just like, it stinks because he just, you know, there wasn't the resources there. He didn't maybe have the same drive and all that stuff. But, you know, one way or another, it got kind of lost in, in the space there. So if I can help avoid that for a lot of people, then like, that would just be a, a great, great thing that I wish I could provide down the road. Okay. Awesome stuff, Daniel. Thank you so much. And just on everything you've said and kind of like echoing what you said, it's so important that sometimes we do reach out to other people because one thing that is true, and this is some what we've touched on throughout this episode is as creatives, we do get absorbed by our work. We find it important, but we can do a lot more if we reach out to others, hear their ideas, help them, and also mm-hmm. that way grow on a personal level as well as a creative exactly. level. Exactly. Where can people find out more about you, your book, everything you do? So I just say the easiest thing is to go to the website, which is just twotonyproductions.com, mm-hmm. and that's T-O-T-O-N-Y productions.com. And there you'll be able to find there's links for the book, there's links for the short films, social media, all that stuff. So it's sort of the one-stop shop, uh, for lack of a better term, for everything that I'm sort of up to and doing. Yeah, fabulous. And then just before we go, I have a couple of quick fire questions, just four questions. 
mm -hmm. that listeners can get to know you better. What's the most recent film you watched? And I'm going to stick to film. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the last film I'd watched was actually, I watched a film last night called The Other Lamb, which was kind of an mm -hmm. underrated movie that came out last year. I think mm -hmm. they shot it in Scotland. It's a really, oh. really beautiful film and a really well-made, interesting, surrealist that, cool. that not many people have talked about. So it was cool. I'll try and find that. I suppose it's not on Netflix. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I had to, to, I may or may not have torrented it. I'll just put it yeah. that way. <laughs> okay, cool. What important truth do very few people agree with you on? You know, I, I feel like in my life and the community I've grown up with, it's just, I think a lot of people sort of settle for different things like I almost did with my career. And so I feel like that's been one of the biggest things is just like telling people to really follow their passions and stuff like that. Cause it might not be the easiest thing, but like, if you're, if you're passionate about it, then you're not really going to end up having to work a day in your life. And you're not going to regret that decision to sort of go into a different field that you might not have the same kind of passion for. So I've always been a big like proponent of just chasing what you want to do, but making sure you have the drive to do it too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing to just say, I want to be a, a, a sketch artist or something. It's another thing to really push the way you need to in order to make that happen. Yeah, very good point. And I'll say somebody is really passionate about making films. What one piece of advice would you give to them to start their career? I'd say uh, A is to, if you're in school doing it, you know, make as many friends as possible. And that way you can form like your own little group that might have greater success because you know each other, work together and can do that after you get out of school. Uh, and on top of that is to, if, if you, whatever teachers you have or whatever people out there that you see as a mentor figure, bug, bug the heck out of them, you know, <laughs> ask them questions, you know, try to sit down with them, figure out what they've done in their life and just kind of take as many lessons away from them as possible. And don't be afraid to share like whatever you're working on. If you have a passion project or something like that, talk to them about that because they might have some sort of feedback that'll end up helping out your thing 10 times over. So just making sure you're talking to people and, and making those connections as much as you can. Okay. And to finish everything up, what would you do if you were 10% braver? If I was 10% braver, I would immediately sell this house right now and go somewhere on the West Coast and just shoot for the stars, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that I would that would what I would do in a, in a heartbeat because but again, the sensible side comes in. <laughs> Is this just because of the sunshine? <laughs> well, the sunshine, of course. I'm like I said, I'm a summer boy, but it would also be amazing just to uh, to take that dive and to see what I could yeah. make out of that. But like I said, the sensible side comes in, and it's just like, come on, man, don't don't burn yourself out taking a crazy risk like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, once again, thank you so much. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Now, if you're a creator currently living abroad or you want to live abroad and you've got some questions, please get in touch. Come and say hello on Insta at creators.abroad or head over to our website, creatorsabroad.com. You can find out more about what I do and also my podcast production studio and content creation consultancy. 
All the details are on my website and I look forward to receiving your message. Now, if you just want to support the show, you can subscribe or take a second to leave us a rating and review on Apple. It helps more people find this show and it really does mean a lot to me. Keep an eye out for future changes and I hope to see you next time for more narrative journeys of creators abroad.